AG1 is a comprehensive and convenient blend of over 70 high quality ingredients. And what that means is each morning when I wake up, before I do anything else, I drink AG1 to set me up for the day. It keeps me clear headed, full of energy and focused on whatever I need to do, like writing the fighting cock, for example. One scoop once a day before breakfast and that's it. I've actually found that I've not been needing coffee in the morning to get me started. I've still been drinking coffee because I love coffee, but it's not because it's like a necessity to do so. AG1 is made out of the highest quality ingredients subject to the strictest manufacturing standards. AG1 is NSF certified for sport and this process involves exhaustive testing and verification that every serving of AG1 is exactly what you see on the label. If you want to take ownership of your health, try AG1 and get a free one year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs for your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com forward slash the fighting cock. That's drinkag1.com forward slash the fighting cock to get started and to help the podcast. Thank you very much. Have a great day and enjoy the show. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. It's the fighting. It's the fighting clock. It's the fighting. It's the fighting clock. Come on, Hello and welcome to another special podcast, uh, Fighting Cop podcast. Uh, today I'm joined on the line by uh, Talk Sports Store. I think that's fair to say. Paul Hawksby, how are you doing, my friend? Yeah, not so bad. Thanks, Flav. Pretty good. Good, good. Um, I guess I, I, I want to start. We're going to talk about a lot of things on this show over the next 30 minutes or so. Um, I guess the, the best place to start would be the fact that you and Andy Jacobs have been doing your, um, what would you call it, uh, early afternoon show, 1pm to 4pm show every every weekday for, for how, when did it start? Uh, we've been going for about, oh, about 20, 20 years now. We started off, we did drive for about a year. Um but I think the then management felt it wasn't quite the right tone, needed to be something newsier. So rather than turning the show into something it wasn't, the then boss said, well, what about sort of mid-afternoon might be a better slot, you know. So um, so that's that's what we moved to, and, we, and we've, we've been there ever since. Was it was it this, a similar sort of show? Because the way I see your show is it's, it's, it's almost like a, a sort of relief from... The, the other shows that wind you up that, that that's <laughs> is that a fair thing to say 
It's got look, it's, we, we approach it in a slightly different way. I mean, there, there's a lot of opportunities during the day for for people to call in and, and vent. And, you know, we'll cover the news stories, but we do them in a fairly concentrated sort of way. We'll do it with guests. We tend I mean, we'll take emails and texts. And if something huge breaks, we'll then go to the phones and we'll let people talk about it. But there are plenty of, plenty of other outlets on on talk sports. So we're, we're kind of quite content driven. You know, we have lots of guests and lots of bits and, and we, we kind of work in a slightly different way than some of the other shows where, um, uh, I mean, you know, it, it, people seem to like it. It's been going for a long time and, um, and uh, yeah, it's, so, so it's just, yeah. So, so you're right in saying it is slightly different from some of the other output. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, when I'm, I'm often driving to London uh, sort of pre and post COVID, if we're even in post COVID, who knows, but um I kind of, uh, if it's any any time between one and four, I know that I can just sit back and listen and drive, and it's it's a lovely experience. But other times during the day, I'm I'm, I'm always somewhat hesitant, especially if Spurs have had a bad result. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, they, there there are presenters there. Uh, Jason Cundy's the king of that. <laughs> I, I often driving back from uh, Wembley as it was after Champions League nights. Andy and Jason who do the sports bar, just a pair of wind up merchants. <laughs> and if Tottenham, Tottenham had won. I know it'd be somebody else's turn in the barrel. But if I was coming back at ten o'clock, getting back in the car after the game, and we'd been beaten, I said, "Oh bollocks to that!" You know, they're going <laughs> to. Jason's going to love it. He's going to slaughter us. So I, but I love them. But but I said I could. I've, I've openly told him I could never listen if we'd lost because you'd drive me bonkers. But um, that's you know, that's that's an art in itself which I haven't really got. I'm not very good at that. I don't. I could. I can't really do it. With, with keeping a straight face, but... Uh, no, fair but, enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I, said, I think it, it's... What we try and do in the afternoons, if you are on a car journey, a lot of our audience are quite... They are quite, you know, they could be cab drivers, they might be in vans, they might be reps. There'll be out... People are out and about all day. Uh, and it's just to try and make the afternoon sort of pass quite quickly, just to get you through the afternoon, make it sort of divert in a bit silly and hopefully give you a couple of laughs. And that's that's what we set out to do. We no, you kind yeah you do it really well you do it very well and you end up Thank talking you. to people that are, are really like really interesting i remember specifically the um documentary makers of uh Sunderland until i die you had a, a conversation with them uh or, yeah. or one, one guy from them uh it must have been quite six seven months ago maybe even longer and yeah. uh it was just a really really interesting conversation and uh yeah you've had friend of the show david alfie ward as well he's, he's been on the fighting club oh yes yeah Dave, so you, he's been on a lot he's good good, good lad yeah he is good lad and, and you're, you're just like for, for something that exists in the middle of the day on on uh like a like a massive radio station for you to give you know some of the lesser stories or actually not lesser stories but stories on the periphery of of what football fans genuinely want it is really interesting how do you go about producing the show do you and andy sit down and talk about what you want to talk about or do you have a smaller group of producers who who bring you new stories and you pick and choose how does it work no we've andy and i we were both producers we both worked in in sort of tv as producers before so we've got a kind of producer's eye on it um so Andy and I will we'll, we'll read the papers. We'll do online research in the mornings, uh, and uh, we talk to each other at about sort of half nine, quarter to ten. And I say, well, this is what I've seen today. These are the stories I think we should cover. These are the things that I think are interesting. These are the big talking points. We need to we need to move on. The other thing is we have to know how to move stuff on because if it's just a story about a transfer, then Breakfast have, have, have talked about it. Jim White's talked about it. So by one o'clock we're thinking how do we move that on mm. so 
So rather than looking at the ins and outs of a transfer, for example, we'll, we'll try and get a different angle on it. We'll speak to someone in the country where the players play. We'll, you know, we, as I said, we just try and develop the story because so, by one o'clock it might have been talked out. And if you are listening to the station all day, you just don't want to have the same conversation. But Andy and I, we, we come up with a, a great deal of the content. We set the content, uh, the production team, They'll come up with ideas, but you know, if 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 we don't feel it's right, we'll tell them. They're they're good guys. They they sort of facilitate the the bulk of the ideas that we come up with. Um, and you know, some of it's say quite quirky, quite silly, um, and uh, some of it will be the sort of things you'd expect to be discussed because you have to do that. You can't just ask about for three hours because if there's big things happening in sport, people will tune into talk sport and they'll want to know about that. They'll have an expectation of when they if you know if something huge happens. It's an expectation that when you turn that station on, we'll be talking about it or we'll be about to. And, and we, we have to we have to cover that as well. Uh, having been in the position of a young producer and, and, and working for people that are actually presenting, it's quite a stressful you know, position to be in. Uh, have you ever had a, a situation where there, there is a producer on a run of bad suggestions and you're just thinking this geezer ain't going to cut it? <laughs> <laughs> no, we've been quite lucky, really. The way it's worked is all of our producers, it's interesting, all of our producers from day one, have kind of have gone upstairs. They've all they've all been good people, and often they've been our assistant producers. So it's been a situation where they know how the show works, they know how we work, they know how we generate. We're kind of an awful lot of content, um, and so they know the show. So by the time they become the producer, they'll they'll know the show. So I can't think of a situation. You know, obviously originally there was somebody who had not been our assistant producer who just went straight in, but. But no, it's, it's it's. I've got to be honest. We've never had anybody we thought oh, this this person's terrible. We've we've been quite lucky that there's been a a kind of bit of continuity in the people we work with. I'm uh, I'm being I'm being an idiot. I'm I'm only about, <laughs> and I appreciate it, appreciate how difficult it is. Uh, before before I want to talk to you a lot about your career because yeah. your um like what you've produced and I had no idea that you were behind some of the things that I would absorb when I was a kid growing mm. up and being like fascinated with football that you you was behind so we're going to talk a bit about that but before for the sake of our listeners uh, I want I want to talk about Spurs because uh, yeah, you're a, you're a massive yeah. Spurs fan what, what mm-hmm. when can I can I ask Paul uh, you know how, how old are you uh, I'm 58 so 58 so you're not like you're 10 years behind my dad my dad was uh, his first season was 61 double winning season so he, he lucked right. out there um at 10 years later weren't you know that 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 we were still flying yeah. at that point. Greaves had not 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 long signed. Um, so, how did you get involved in Tottenham? What what your experiences following the club as a kid? Can you tell us anything about it? Yeah, my first game was in '68, uh, and it was one. Of, I think it was one of Cliff Jones would have been one of his last games for Spurs. We beat Forest two one. Greavesy scored. But um, that was a. I, I remember going to the game and, and sort of being hooked. But I was still very young at that point, um, and I was living in. I was born near Arsenal. I've got sort of family, a lot of Arsenal fans in the family, um, uh, and but I kind of gravitated towards uh, Tottenham. And then I moved from Stoke Newington. I was so born much nearer Arsenal than I was Tottenham. But I moved from that part of North London to Edmonton. My mum and dad moved moved out, and I moved to Edmonton. Uh, and I was obviously very close to to the ground, and I started to go regularly to games. Really, in in about 1971. Was you on your own? So, or? Th- I used to go with a, a a mate and and his older brother, and sometimes their dad. Uh, my dad wasn't a my stepdad. It was wasn't a massive football fan, so I was going, I was going with other people. Um, so I started to go at that stage 
certainly home games on a regular basis. And that, so the team I remember seeing initially was uh, Gilzine, Chivers, Stevie Perryman, Pat Jennings, Mike England, uh, you know, Joe Kinnear, Ray Evans, Phil Bill, Tony Wong. It was that sort of era. Uh, good, so that early 70s side. Yeah, it was a good side. Yeah, I mean, you know, I was, I, I got quite spoiled. I, 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 10 years old or nine years old is all have been there. You think every year, you know, went to, you know, went to a Wembley Cup final in 71. We won. Uh, we won the, the UEFA Cup in uh, 72. We win a League Cup in 73. I think, oh, this is great. You know, it yeah. must be like this every year. <laughs> and then and it all goes a bit quiet after that. Yeah. And I, I, yeah, you have to, I had to put in the hard yards. But it was, yeah, so that, that, that early 70s side was a, was a cracking side. We could beat anybody, you know, like you, I remember seeing us beat United 2-0. Um, Stevie Perriman's got a really good goal in that game. Um, and, you know, that was Charlton, best law. That was a great Manchester United team. So, so I, yeah, I, you know, I saw, I saw great players that sort of era and, and we could compete with anybody in the early set. We didn't, I mean, obviously Leeds were a really dominant side, but we'd give anybody a game and they were great to watch. We had European football. So it was, they were quite good times to, to get into the team, you know. Oh, um, so our, our, our um, our start out of our football club it isn't too dissimilar to each other's. I was born in Holloway, so I'm literally a stone's throw from Highbury. They yeah. moved stadium, you know, as we know. I don't know if it's early 2000s, whenever they did they did move. And it's literally from my bedroom in my dad's house, which he still lives in. I can see <laughs> the current Arsenal stadium. So I understand. Wow. Yeah, I understand exactly your plight. One of, one of the, the, my, my dad's greatest attributes when talking about Spurs was being able to compare some of the older teams to the, to the current sides. And <clears> often <throat> when you talk to um, sort of people who've, who've watched Spurs through the, through the decades, you often feel like, as a as a as a new fan, as I have been, you know, decades previous, that that the old teams were always better than what I've seen. Like my dad would talk <laughs> about Greaves as the greatest striker he'd ever seen until he saw Harry Kane in uh, a couple of a couple of seasons deep into his Tottenham career. And now he co- he talks about Greaves and Kane on a comparable level. Do you, do you find that? Um, or, or, or can you appreciate the fact that in, in, in the last decade or so under Pochettino especially and maybe that season under Red Knapp, that those teams can compare to seasons of old? Oh yeah I, I, I think the season we went unbeaten at home I've, I've not enjoyed a season that much in all my years supporting Tottenham I just thought the football was great the atmosphere was great we had a wonderful manager uh, we had a great young side and you felt there was real optimism for the future I just, I just loved. I couldn't wait to go every week for games. Um, and you know, so I saw great sides. I saw the early '80s side, which, which won things, and I saw that side in the '70s that won things. And we had that kind of see that fallow period really in in the '90s where we, we, you know, we had look, we had we had good seasons now and again. But uh, but uh, as I said, that that last season at the lane was was just brilliant. It was such good fun. So even though that that team was as good and and didn't win things like the previously very decent or, or very good teams did, yeah. does that take anything away from that side that you saw in in two thousand and I think sixteen when we went on? Yeah, did it take anything away from it? No, I mean I can only base it on 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 the feeling, if you like. If if I was, you know, I, 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 it's a ridiculous thing to say, and people would say oh, you're a Tottenham fan, you would say that. But I, I always felt when people kept on about, oh yeah, Poch, he hasn't won anything. 
And I think, OK, they'd go out and win a League Cup and everybody would say, oh, yeah, but it's only a League Cup. So unless he was going to win the League or the Champions League, which, of course, we, well, we didn't nearly do because we didn't turn up that night, sadly, but probably more of that later. Got close but to the, Yeah, but we got close to it. We got to a final, which was Dreamland. But, you know, I, I didn't get hung up on that. All I can go is on, on the feeling of, of going to watch that team play. Yeah, it would have been nice to have had a trophy in that period. And, you know, you'd argue during that period, we'd probably deserve one. But, um, but you know, it, it's odd that I can say I, I saw a team, saw us win two European trophies, saw us win League Cups, FA Cups, yet purely in terms of, of a season, of a whole Premier League season or First Division season of enjoyment. That, for me, was the best. I'd never seen us go unbeaten at home all season in all the time I'd been going to Spurs. And I think and that mattered a lot. And as I said, you bought into the team. You bought into what the manager was doing. That's why I was so gutted and, and felt very let down by the chairman when when he went. Not in the circumstances he went, because I think yeah. by that stage he had checked out. I think we could all see that. And the relationship had broken down. And I think there's a few moments in All or Nothing, which I know we'll come on to, where I think you can see that. If the only exchange they can find is talking about a cashmere jumper <laughs> between two two blokes who've worked together for five years and suppose you had a great relationship, that tells you that, that it, it had turned to shit, really. You was, get that sense. Was very odd, wasn't it? Was very odd. Yeah, and yeah. and, and it's, it, it's also like quite difficult because when, when, you're, when you're a kid <clears throat> and, and you've watched Spurs, as, as I have, um, you know, I, my, the first trophy won when I was 10 years old was the 91... Uh, FA Cup trophy and then we've won League Cup since then too but it doesn't really kind of they, the League Cups don't hold up to any significance compared to as you said the Champions League and the uh, and the Premier League trophies but um, you know that that unbeaten season that we had it was hard even though it was incredible to see him or any Spurs fan any, any football fan actually could see us playing magnificent football and we should have won the league in two seasons, we should have won the league. But to come away with nothing is still hard to reconcile. I mean, I can do it, and I feel great about that season. But a lot of sort of Spurs fans out there feel difficult. But the biggest, the biggest transition after that magnificent season was the fact that um, we went through a good eighteen months of being pretty average. After that, despite the fact that we got to a Champions League final, that was almost in spite of the amazing stuff we'd done. Um, but the, I, just, the, I would say one thing. One thing, forever. If you think about it, if you compare, if you talk about Arsenal in comparison, that you know we we've had seasons. Well, at that particular season, which was absolutely fantastic, we won nothing at the end of it. You know, they've had comparative seasons where all they've done is bitch about their team. They've had protests. They've wanted managers out, and they've gone at the end of the season. They've won an FA Cup. I mean, you know, does that make up just as sort of one day? This and the fact, okay, they won a pot of it, and there it is in the record books. But they've hated the season. They've hated the football they've watched. They don't like the team. They don't like the manager. And you think to yourself, well, what do we go to football for? Yeah, it is nice to be able to look back and say, well, that was the year we won that. And I've been lucky to go to most of those finals in recent years uh, and, and enjoy it. But, you know, sometimes it's sometimes it's it's, it's the journey as much as anything else. Absolutely. Just, I, 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 just as a response to that, Paul, there, there is nothing a single Arsenal fan could ever say to me that, that, that would make me feel any less about my football club. I, obviously, naturally, as a Spurs fan, I despise them. But as a fan base, um, genuinely, I, I don't want to sound elitist, but they're beneath us all, and they always will be. But anyway, let's 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 move on to um, uh, Jose Mourinho and and yeah. and how you feel about him. And I wonder how you felt about him before All or Nothing, and whether it's changed because of this documentary. 
Um, I, when he came in, I was, I mean, in, because of what had happened at United and Chelsea, I was a bit sceptical. I, I, you know, I've got to be honest, I'm not completely through that because I, I can't, I can't tally the, the, the Jose Mourinho was seeing in all or nothing. And from what I understand about him, uh, quite a few clubs, quite a few clubs he's been to, talking to players that have played under him. And, you know, he is, he's very charming and he's, he's very charismatic and you can see why you want to play for him. But, but at the last two clubs, it's all turned toxic. And it mm. seems to be that third year. I don't know if it's like flicking a switch, but it comes at that third season. And something seems to change, whether it's, I don't know whether it's a, a sort of boredom or restlessness or not being able to make the progress he thinks he can make. But it just, it's, I mean, if it had happened once, you'd say it was just a fluke. When it happens twice at two clubs, you start to think there's something wrong here. And I, I do worry especially with the kind of chairman we've got. Uh, and it's, it's all, it looks like it's all relative sweetness and light at the moment. But, you know, our chairman has a philosophy, and I don't think any amount of money that we ever make as a club will change his philosophy. No. He has, he has, he has a, a way he works. He has a value on players that he'll stick to. And even, I think, if we, if we were selling the place out every week, which we probably would be uh, without the virus, getting 60000 in and generating more cash, I still think you'd see him working to the sort of budget that still sees us come up that little bit short. And that's that's the frustration. I do worry that, that under the current ownership, and he cares about the club, but, you know, he's, and he's a very good businessman and he's pulled off some great deals. But I always feel he won't go that, that extra yard that's the difference between being Liverpool and Chelsea and, and us. You know, we'll always come close, but I think sometimes you have to make that, that greater commitment. And I do worry, going back to Jose, that... That, you know, ultimately, Jose, I want to compete at that level. We'll be frustrated. Certainly, if it's clubs like Manchester United and Chelsea, clubs he's managed in this country, uh, sort of uh, besting him. So I think there is, I think ultimately that relationship, there'll be a player, it'll come down to a player, or and there'll be a press conference where you start to see the cracks and you start to hear, well, you know, I didn't want that player. He wasn't my signing, or I wanted this player and I didn't get him. So I do fear that, we're, you know, he possibly will leave us Toxic and fourteenth. I don't know. I, I, I you know, it's, it's just always a, it's at the back of my mind, really. But the the program, I, I don't doubt. I say, having spoke to people who's worked under him, I wasn't altogether surprised that he comes across so well at all. And I think I'm, he's a, I think he's a very decent man. But as a manager, something seems to happen in that third season that that makes the whole thing disintegrate. And I, I can't quite. I mean, it'd be great if we can do this every year, all or nothing, because maybe we can maybe we can see what happens in the third season. Oh, I'd love it. I'd I'd love to actually just have it as a show that would just never. I ends. heard you saying that the other day. You're like <laughs> like a like a soap, like Coronation Street. That's quite a nice idea. Yeah, wouldn't it be great? Because it, it definitely yeah. is just. A, it is a little. It feels like a bit of a puff piece. It feels. It feels like um, they are. Um, that you know that they're they're. They're feeding the agenda of the football club. And I, I spoke to the producers, I'm not sure if you listened to that podcast, where I asked them whether or not they had editorial control. And they said they did, that it wasn't down to the club. But I haven't watched it. I can't believe that's true. But, you know, hopefully I'll get to talk to them again and, and we'll see what the actual truth is and whether or not they, they would admit to, to giving that up. But we'll see. Um yeah, so I mean, you mentioned about uh, Mourinho um, like, it's falling apart in the third season. It, it did happen at Madrid, it happened at uh, Chelsea, and it also happened at Man United. The difference being here is that 
he hasn't been supported <laughs> in the same way he was at those previous football clubs. Like United, they <clears throat> bought Ibrahimovic. I think they bought Pogba at the same time. So they're, they're massive acquisitions. And that hasn't happened at Tottenham. So I don't know if his philosophy's changed, if he's less interested in winning things, or he believes that he's, his abilities will uh, transcend the restrictions that the club have placed upon him. We'll see in that next season. But are you, are you hopeful to the next season? Well, I think, I think he's interested. You heard him talk about it. He said Tottenham are a team... He kind of says Tottenham are a nearly team. Tottenham are a, they're a great club. They're a big club. They've got fantastic infrastructure now. They're ready to go on to the next level. And I think he's quite attracted by the idea of being the one that makes Tottenham winners. You know, because if, you know, that's the thing. You know, all Tottenham managers come in and they'll play great football. They're great on the eye. Everybody's second team. You know, everybody loves the way Tottenham play. But they can't get over the line. How many times in recent years, even under Poch, we can't get over the line. We get to a Champions League final and just put him on a, a, a poor performance, give away a mad penalty. Only that can happen to us. We go all the way to bloody Spain. And uh, you get there and we give away a penalty. We all sat there and looked at each other and said, Spursy. The Manchester United FA Cup semi-final. Going back a little bit longer. Bloody Portsmouth in the FA Cup. <laughs> we were basically in the final. We lost to bloody Portsmouth. And, you know, you just think, when it matters... We can be such a soft touch, and it does drive you mad. I love the club, but they drive me mad. And I just think Jose's saying, no more of that. And I think we're starting to see that in the mm. profile of the players he's signing. Uh, you know, we're seeing it with uh, Doherty, who's a different sort of player. You know, he's a harder player. Yeah. Uh, I think we're seeing it with Hoybier uh, yeah. as well. And I think you're going to start to see players come in in his image. And I heard you say on the podcast the other day about about Didier, um, about um, Costa, uh, Diego Costa. Yeah. Again, that I mean, it's the, the ultimate uh, king of shithousery. I mean, the yeah. idea of him playing for Tottenham it kind of flies in the face of what we like. But I think he'd be a great acquisition. I think we have to be a bit nastier. And whenever I say that, people say, oh, well, what about the Battle of Stamford Bridge? But that was petulance and a one-off, you know. Mm. I'm talking about a team, a team that's got, you know, just... It just got a little bit about them at times when it matters. Not, let's not completely throw the baby out of the bus. I love the fact we're a great flair side. We play good football. And we have good lads who generally play for us. But a little bit of edge sometimes. All good sides. All every winning side has always had a little bit of edge as well. And I think we just lack that at times. Yeah, I think if you if you if if you're willing to if you're willing to you know forget or or just put to, put aside. The, the, the fabric of the football club just for a couple of seasons and, and it results in trophies or a different or a winning mentality and then under Mourinho and then eventually he'll go it, it, it won't be long I'd, I'd imagine a couple of seasons maybe three seasons at most from this point then 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 we can then resort back to um, a, a new progressive manager who's going to play flowing football but with a a club, a fan base, also that believes that we can win something. That could be a that could be a very special thing. Maybe there is a grand master plan of Daniel Levy who thinks, you know, all I need to do is just to do this for the next two seasons. Kate Mourinho, like as you say, shit house our way to a trophy and then and then build something special. Maybe I mean I'm I'm being very idealistic here, but you never you never know. Um, so so I just want to know before we move on to to your career, Paul. Um, like, what, what do you envisage for the next season? How high can we finish? Do you think? Uh, as it stands, uh, without a striker, uh, without some backup for Kane, um, a, a similar sort of striker for Kane, I, I, I can't see us getting top four. I don't see the top four with the business that they've done uh, and maybe will continue to do being any different from next season. I think we'll find it very hard 
to break into that top four. I mean, we could be fifth, we could be sixth. Um, I mean, Arsenal have strength and they look like they've got something going on now. Um, I mean, I, I still think I still think we're top six, but I don't think we're top four. So, it, I, you know, we may need to win uh, the Europa League to get into the Champions League next season. I just don't think we've done quite enough. Um, and it's going to be a mad season. You know, we, we saw Harry Kane in the Iceland game. He's, you know, I think there's a few boys there that, that could be running on empty. We've got a lot of games. We've got all these Europa League qualifiers to get in, although we'll put out a second string, I think, in a lot of those. Um, and as I say, I don't think we've got quite enough looking at the opposition for top four, which is a frustration. Um, but um, I, I, honestly, I don't know how you feel about it. I think I think we'll be lucky to, to crack the ones that are there, especially with Arsenal improving as well. No, I get what you're saying, Paul. Uh, but, but reading between the lines, as a, any good producer does, I feel like you're saying we're going to finish second. <laughs> so yeah, that... that's it. That's it. That's the subtext of what I just said there. Yeah, I, we will be we will be second behind. Uh, not Arsenal. That'd be terrible. No, God, Jesus. No, no. yeah, <laughs> that'd be horrible. Paul, um, so just for the next five ten minutes. I, um, so I was listening to your show the other day, mm. and um, uh, you talked about ninety minutes. Yeah. Now I had no idea that you were involved in ninety minutes. Not just involved in it, like integral to it, right? But mm. me, me and my brothers, we would buy 90 minutes every time it came out. And we had we, I've got piles of them, piles wow. of them in, in my loft. Uh, where We would just read this this magazine. It would come out and it was like, I'm not sure if it, of the timing of, of when these publish, publications came out. But there were three of them, as I remember. There were Match, uh, it was Match, Shoot, mm-hmm. and, and, and 90 Minutes. And 90 Minutes was the, the discerning, discerning gentleman's um, football magazine. Is, is that how you saw yourselves? Well, it's interesting. I, I, we started it in 1990, just before the 1990 World Cup. Myself and a guy called Dan Goldstein um, just had this idea. We, we'd worked together on a, on a sort of few football projects uh, in publishing, and we always thought we'd have a pint. And we always thought there was, there was a kind of a, a space between when Saturday comes and shoot and match, which was at the younger end. We felt there was a kind of mainstream sort of semi-intelligent, hopefully quite well-written, sort of weekly football magazine that wasn't posters uh, and wasn't a fanzine. There was something to take the spirit of the fanzines and, and move that on. And we started this magazine in, in, in a back room. It was right at the start of desktop publishing, so you could kind of do it that way, the very early Apple Macs. And we produced it ourselves and quick, quickly realised we couldn't run a business and produce a weekly magazine, even with a few contributors, we're killing ourselves. Yeah. So it went off to a company called Dennis Publishing. Uh, they they bought it and we well, so, continued Paul, to edit sorry, it. Sorry, the, yeah. Paul, sorry, sorry. So you, you've got, you've started a magazine in your in your bedroom. In a back room, yeah. Like it's almost, yeah, like a crazy. If I'd if I sort of known then what I know now. Of course. We were mad. Of so course. We, yeah, we, yeah. And so uh, from but, that... But, 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 yeah. no, but, but what, what I'm interested in is, is that you've started producing this this magazine... And you've got a publisher to buy it. That that seems unlikely now. Like it's, it seems like a, a massive moment. Was it, was it massive? Well, we were lucky. Uh, I mean, we didn't make a fortune. It wasn't like we sold it for five million quid because um, we were lucky that Italia ninety happened. Uh, and had it not, because we launched before Italia ninety. It was mad. We we sort of launched at the end of the season. And it was just crazy. We launched in like in April, but we knew a World Cup was coming, and and we we gambled on England doing quite well. And thankfully they did. And football changed a lot after that World Cup. And I think publishers uh, looked at football in a very different way. You know, there was a, quite a lot of stigma from the 80s. 
But Italia Knightley really did change all that. And the, the fact that when we went looking for a bit of help, because that's what we did, the two of us were in a back room struggling to keep this thing going. And we went to two publishers, publishers and said, look, you're, you're small enough to be able to move on this quickly, but we can't keep doing this for much longer. Are you interested in, in getting involved? We still want to write it. And this guy, Felix Dennis, who is he's dead now. He's an amazing, he was an amazing guy. He's probably worth looking up his story if anybody wants to Wikipedia Felix. But we went up to this room in some uh, flat in Soho and he, over a few glasses of wine, he said, yeah, I like you boys. I've got no interest in football, but one of my team has uh, at, at the magazine and he loves what you're doing as well. So, yeah, we'll we'll take it on. And, what, did, and what, did he, what did he provide you with? Was it was it a team well, of writers or was it well, like publishing yeah, capability? It gave us, yeah, it gave us, uh, obviously they took a lot of that sort of, they took all the fight, the running the business. We didn't have to do that anymore because we were doing that as well as writing the magazine. So he 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 took that on. Uh, well, the company took that on because Dennis Publishing was quite a big company at that time. They had some very successful magazines. They probably had 20, 20 odd magazines. But, you know, they were, they, they were very successful uh, but a kind of this sort of guerrilla attitude to it. They were still quite, they were lean. They were a good, they were a good company like that. They weren't a sort of massive publishing company. Although two years later, it went to IPC magazines, who were one of the biggest publishing companies in Britain, if not the world. And that, but then it moved on. You know, we had further resource put into it. And that's when it, it kind of really took off in terms of sales, when we had that resource of IPC. We always, it was interesting what you said about shoot match, because we always wanted it to be a kind of a sort of smash hits of football. You know, smash hits was, was doing brilliant work in, in music and was a little bit different and stood out. So in fact, quite a lot of the staff we then started to take on like Ellen Levy and, and Andy Strickland, they both come from record mirror and have written for smash hits. So it started to get some of those sensibilities. So we wanted something that had that feel of a, of a kind of smash hits football magazine. And that's when we started to get the quite serious sales and were selling over uh, sort of a hundred thousand at the start of the season, and it, and it started to take off. Hundred thousand, um, the hundred thousand um, uh, print magazines sold is a huge amount. That, that's oh, oh yeah, I mean, a week it was. It was yeah. I mean the the two other magazines. Well, I mean the kids' magazines were the biggest sellers. I mean I think Shoot at that time was probably selling two hundred and fifty. Match would have been selling a similar number. So there was an appetite in the early nineties up to the mid nineties for for football magazines, for magazines generally, you know, then Loaded came along. Uh, they operated out the sort of next office to 90 minutes. So then you saw it, there was just uh, people, you know, young men were buying quite a lot of magazines. And so it, it kind of coincided with that as well. So th- that helped. Well, that's me. I, I, I was, I was your, your your target demographic and I ate yeah. it up. Honestly, I ate it up. And I, I went on to Loaded for obvious reasons as a 15, 16 year old young man. Yeah. Um, but but yeah, that, no, it was it was it was fascinating. But did, did you realise what you had at the time? Because how old was you when you started Ninety Minutes? Uh, I would have been about twenty nine. Okay, so, twenty nine. Yeah, old enough to 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 understand business or understand uh, your your place in the world. It wasn't like mm. you were an eighteen year old kid who just stumbled no. upon it. No, no, that's true. I mean, the other thing as well is that uh, I think one of the reasons IPC bought it was that it was 90 Minutes was supposed to be a magazine you would graduate on. You'd graduate from shoot when that wasn't doing it for you. You'd maybe tired of the posters and the different stories. And you'd graduate on to 90 Minutes. And yeah. then we launched a monthly magazine called Goal that, that, we, that was up against 442. Um, it's, again, slightly different sort of magazine to 442, a bit more 
with a kind of music sensibilities, a bit less of a kind of serious read. Although I thought 442 was a, a great magazine and still is, but but we, we tried to do something different in that market. But the weekly market then towards the sort of mid-later 90s, it sort of it died off. All, because football had become so big, all the newspapers were doing football pullouts and you were kind of what you'd had to pay for in stuff like 90 Minutes. You were getting free in some aspects of the tabloids or the broadsheets. Everybody was doing that. And it, the kind of USP, if you like, we, we lost it in that period because football became so big with the Premier League. Mm. It kind of ultimately killed that, that slightly older weekly magazine market, which was a great shame. And 90 Minutes closed in about 97. Yeah. And then obviously the advent of the internet made it almost impossible, yeah. didn't it? And that, of course, that, that, yeah, I mean, within a couple of years, you know, information was available instantly, you know, and that sort of stuff, that sort of outlet was very different, yeah. I don't want to sound like a, a fanboy, but I remember writing a, a, an essay in, in, uh, for, in English uh, when I was at Highbury Grove School about what I wanted to do in my career. And one was to, to be a footballer, which I was never good, good enough to, to be, but one... The other thing was to say I want to write for ninety minutes, ninety minutes um, magazine. <laughs> Unbelievable! Um, wow. And now I'm here uh, talking to you in my kitchen in Wiltshire. So it, it, you know, somehow <laughs> there is there's, there's a massive revolving sphere that I'm on. Um, so so what happened then? Uh, like uh, where, where did you like? Did, was that you, was that the catalyst for your your career in sports um, journalism yeah. or broadcasting? It was really. It was certainly from the the journalism point of view. I went off and I became the I became the sort of um, uh, the group editor of all the football magazines at IPC and I looked after world soccer as well. Um, and that, that, that went from strength to strength, which was great. Um, and then I went off to Chelsea, believe it or not. I went and worked at the football club. I was approached by Ken Bates to go and work there. And it was quite intriguing at the time. It was The club was really starting to sort of take off. It was quite difficult, though, as a Tottenham fan. Yeah. Uh, to go and work there. And it meant for that period I couldn't go. And I did sort of weigh that up. But I thought, you know, you've got, you've got to career, think professionally about this. Yeah, and I thought, you know, I can get through this. But there was there was a couple of things. There was um, when we lost 6-1. Remember when we lost 6-1 at White Hart Lane? Yeah, of course. Chelsea? Of course. <laughs> yeah, I had to go in. Can you imagine going into work on the Monday? <laughs> that, that, was, that was a joy. You know, you can imagine with the coaching staff and the players coming in. I was getting slaughtered. Yeah, I So, uh then I, I, was, I was only a year at Chelsea. There was a lot of internal politics, and it, it, that wasn't Ken Bates' fault. Well, I got on quite well. well. I got very well, with actually, but that wasn't his fault. For whatever reason, I was only a year at Chelsea. Then that's how I kind of started working with Andy because he was the, uh, the producer of Fantasy Football League with Skinner and Badil, and he, he phoned me up uh, one day and was looking for some sort of junior researchers, and we got chatting, and it, and it evolved that they're... They needed another producer, a football producer, to work on the the World Cup '98 World Cup series. So I, I, I just it put it sounded like a lot of fun. I knew Frank anyway because he'd written a column for 90 Minutes, and uh, I went and worked there and did the the World Cup uh, fantasy football World Cup with them, uh, which was live show every day for a month. So it was a it was an amazing experience, a real slog, but a, a lot yeah. of fun as well. Um, and then I, I kind of worked with Andy from that point and it was kind of a couple of years in he'd done a bit of very local radio when he was much younger and he wanted to get back into it and he just contacted uh talk sport uh, and they had a kind of they had a, a, an internet radio uh, arm at the time a sort of a kind of minor little minor station that ran along the the main output um 
and they asked us just to do a sort of tryout show one evening, and the controller liked it, and um, they got in, they gave us a couple of shifts, and we did a regular Friday night show on TalkSport. Then we ended up doing a cricket show, midweek cricket show, sponsored cricket show, because we're both into that, again, which was quite a light-hearted uh, show. And then uh, they asked us to, to come on board sort of full-time, as I said, initially in that drive-time slot, and then moving sort of uh, mid-afternoons. But, yeah, it was th- that was that's the timeline, really. That's how I've ended up doing that. Fascinating. really is. Uh, uh, just as you mentioned cricket then, because I remember listening to the pair of you um, during the Ashes. And, yeah. um, and uh, the, the difference between you and Andy uh, when, when you're talking about cricket is that Andy, <laughs> Andy um, just is the most, possibly the most pessimistic man I've ever oh, listened yeah. to. Like the way he just throws England under the bus the minute yeah. they're doing, if there's any kind of even a hint of a collapse, he's oh. he's he's on them. Does he enjoy? He realises he do, he loves it. He absolutely loves sport, but he is the ultimate pessimist. He's and he I, he gets kind of almost more psychotic about England cricket than he does Chelsea, <laughs> and that is saying something. Like you know, we're playing, we'll be playing. I don't know Sri Lanka, and he'll get seven off and over, and he'll say. Oh, they'll get four hundred now. So, what are you talking? <laughs> and he just and he makes it. He knows he makes himself look a burke. He got stuck into Josh Butler the other week, of course. So when he had that fantastic knock and basically course, won yeah. the test for England, but he he, he says, oh, you know, and he he'll just go mad and he'll do it on air. And he knows he does it. And he says, it self- sorry, go on, sorry. Yes, I'm, I'm sorry. No, I just said he just he just you know he knows he's doing it. He just can't help himself. He has no. He cannot self censor. He'll say what's on his mind. And it is ultimately, but he does know a lot about cricket, far more than I do. He's 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 I, great on it. I don't doubt he's it. Very good on it at all, yeah. at all. No, it's purely emotion, and and it sounds like yeah. um, self-preservation. That's what it sounds like. Yeah. It sounds yeah, like exactly. it, it, a Spurs fan talking about Spurs. If if you're into yeah. football, it, that's the way he approaches the England cricket team. That's what it feels like. Yeah. But it is a wonderful chemistry you guys had, and you and you seem to be really good mates, and and, and it comes across yeah. on air. Um, before before we uh, finish, uh, and this has been fantastic, and I just really want to thank you as well for for, for no chatting problem. to us. I enjoyed it. Per, like personally, I, it's, it's really really interesting. But what, what was your favourite ever ninety minutes cover? Because I have one, uh, and I'm not. That's there were so many, so it might be tough for you to answer. But there's one that sticks wow. into my head as a kid. Do you, do you want me to tell you mine? Yeah, go on then. It's the one with Teddy Sheridan and Sam Fox in our in our pony kit. Uh, and, and it was just after, and I, and I, had, I, I this was like my tre- treasured magazine I had as a kid, where we just sold um, Jurgen Klingsman, and I, you know, all hope was lost. And then I see Sam Fox was on the cover, so it made everything feel a little bit better. <laughs> I'm trying, I'm trying, I'm trying to think. We did. I mean, we started doing a little bit of early Photoshop stuff when there wasn't a lot of that going on. I remember us, we we floated this idea of foreign players, big foreign players playing in the top division. And I think in about 92, we put, I think we put Rude Hullet in a lead shirt and we thought this was just a massive joke. Like the idea that Rude Hullet would ever play uh, in, in the, as it was the first division then in England. So we thought, put the biggest player in a decent, and it was, and I just remember us doing that and us being very pleased with ourselves. You know, within a couple of years, he was, <laughs> he was playing for Chelsea, of course. And we, so, uh, and then later managing them. So, it's interesting. One of the, the the most famous cover, or probably of ninety minutes, is after my time because uh, Eleanor Levy became editor. I went on to be the group editor, and they did this very uh, Juliet Wills, who was one of our writers again, another big Spurs fan. Uh, Jules uh, interviewed the Spice Girls, and she thought it might be a fun thing to do. Very early, the Spice Girls were. I think they'd had 
the first single out. You know, it was, that was very, very early days. But yeah. she took pictures along of footballers. And uh, she showed them, said, which one, who do you know who these guys are? Which ones do you like? And, uh, and Victoria Adams, as she was then, posh, said, oh, he's nice. Who's he? I think I saw him no. uh, on the telly the other day. And uh, and the, he saw it. She met him in a lounge. She went along to a game, met him in a lounge somewhere at a match. And the rest is history. So well, Ju- because, Juliet, because... <laughs> 90 minutes brought them together. Well, yeah, well you, you uh, and your mate in, in, a, in his back room... Yeah, that's right. Although that's right, the Beckhams and I've I've found out via my aunt that I'm distantly related via the Eldridge clan to uh, to David Beckham uh, and um, and and to Lynn Goodman. So that's a win double. There is. So um, I often think. Yeah, I think I should start getting the begging letters in. You might not remember me, but I'll see if I have to start doing that now. Yeah, if you ever end up in in hard times, Paul, then you know what to do. Uh, mate, it's, <laughs> it's fantastic. So, thank you so much for, for speaking to us, and I hope to speak to you again soon, and I hope you enjoy the season and, and, and continue to produce the amazing uh, show that you do. Uh, yeah, nice thanks one, again. Fast. Take enjoy care. Enjoy All the best. Cheers. All the best. Cheers, pal. It's the fighting. It's the fighting. It's the fighting. It's the fighting. Cock! A camel shut Sports Social Podcast Network. Sports Social Podcast Network. Geico asks, how would you love a chance to save some money on insurance? Of course you would. And when it comes to great rates on insurance, Geico can help. Like with insurance for your car, truck, motorcycle, boat, and RV. Even help with homeowners' or renters' coverage. Plus, add an easy-to-use mobile app, available 24-hour roadside assistance, and more, and GEICO is an easy choice. Switch today and see all the ways you could save. It's easy. Simply go to GEICO.com or contact your local agent today. Sports Social Podcast Network. GEICO asks, how would you love a chance to save some money on insurance? Of course you would. And when it comes to great rates on insurance, GEICO can help. Like with insurance for your car, truck, motorcycle, boat, and RV. Even help with homeowners' or renters' coverage. Plus, add an easy-to-use mobile app, available 24-hour roadside assistance, and more, and GEICO is an easy choice. Switch today and see all the ways you could save. It's easy. Simply go to GEICO.com or contact your local agent today. Sports Social Podcast Network. GEICO asks, how would you love a chance to save some money on insurance? Of course you would. And when it comes to great rates on insurance, GEICO can help. Like with insurance for your car, truck, motorcycle, boat, and RV. Even help with homeowners' or renters' coverage. Plus, add an easy-to-use mobile app, available 24-hour roadside assistance, and more, and GEICO is an easy choice. Switch today and see all the ways you could save. It's easy. Simply go to GEICO.com or contact your local agent today. Sports Social Podcast Network. 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 Sports Social Podcast Network.